0: The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Good morning. It is good to be with you today. Uh, My name is Andrew Martin. I'm the youth pastor here at Christ the King. And it's my privilege uh, to welcome you to the service this morning. Uh, We are in the middle of a series in the book of Revelation. So I invite you to turn with me now to Revelation chapter 3, uh, verses 7 through 13. And we've been studying in particular these letters that were written to seven churches uh, in the first century uh, in Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey. And uh, we've seen that these, these seven churches actually represent all churches in every time and every place uh, throughout history. So this letter we're going to be looking at together this morning, it was written for Christians 2,000 years ago. It was also written for you and for me today. So with that in mind, please follow along as we read Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, we come before you this morning, and Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us out of your love and out of your kindness. Thank you that you have spoken true and and encouraging words, and we ask that as we uh, dig deeply into these this morning, that you would open up our our ears, open up our minds, open up our hearts uh, to understand and to also believe the promises uh, that you make to us. And we pray, Father, that by your grace that we would believe these things and that we would be strengthened uh, to hold fast to your word in all circumstances. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you love the water, you have come to the right state. Uh, here in Virginia, we are blessed with many natural waterways. In the southwest part of our beautiful state, you can go over to the Roanoke River or you can head over to Smith Mountain Lake. Uh, you can head over a little further east to Lake Anna or enjoy the James or Maury Rivers. And if you like something a little bit bigger, you can, of course, head down to the, to the beach and you've got as much water as you could ever ask for right there. And if you have ever uh, been to one of those larger bodies of water, whether it's the Atlantic or or perhaps Smith Mountain Lake or Lake Anna, you've probably seen people participating in a very fun activity, speedboat tubing. Uh, You know what I'm talking about. You basically, you sit or you lie on an inflatable tube. Uh, You you attach a rope to that tube and then you take the other end of that rope and you, you latch it to a speedboat. And then the driver cranks the engine and let the fun begin as you go flying or, in my case, many times crashing uh, through the water. And you know that as you're, if you've ever seen this or if you've ever participated in it, you know that as you're, as you're flying across that water with the, with the engine cranking, uh, the, the wind is like a giant vacuum cleaner just pulling on your body, you know, like it's about to just suck you right off the back of that, of that tube. And the waves are no longer waves. No, they have transformed into these bucking broncos that are doing everything they can uh, to fling you into the water. And so when you're tubing, you have, you have to keep a firm grip on the tube or your ride will be a very short one, as it has often been for me. And, and this picture of, of hanging on tightly to an, to an inner tube, is this is a picture of what the Christians in Philadelphia were doing. Uh, they were keeping their grip on God's word and Jesus commends them for this. Look with me at the beginning of verse 8. Jesus says to them, I know your works. And then a little bit further and later in the verse, he explains what those works are. He says, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. In verse 10, he goes on and and speaks more about this. He says, you have kept my word about patient endurance. The Christians in Philadelphia, they they were holding fast. They were keeping their grip on God's word. They were remaining loyal and obedient to Jesus. But unlike the fun of speedboat tubing on Smith Mountain Lake, for the Christians in Philadelphia, this was far, this was not not even remotely close to a joyride for them. No, holding fast and keeping God's word in Philadelphia was difficult, and it was dangerous. Look with me in verse 9. He says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. This verse indicates that the Christians in Philadelphia were facing opposition and persecution from enemies of God. Described here as a a synagogue of Satan. And And the Christians, they were facing these things from a position of great vulnerability. Look with me again in verse 8. Jesus says, I know that you have but little power. The Christians in Philadelphia were people of little power in themselves. One commentator suggests that the reference to little power uh, may be a reference to the small size of the church in that city. Uh, But whatever the case, uh, it would have been easy for these brothers and sisters who had little power in themselves To feel unimportant, to feel afraid, and maybe even to feel forgotten as they felt the force of persecution prying at their fingers as they fought to keep their grip on God and His Word. And just like back then, Christians today face forces that pry on our fingers as well. Uh, Many times, in the face of these forces, we are small, we're vulnerable. And we're often very afraid. If you read the news or or publications like Voice of the Martyrs, we read unspeakable stories of Christians who even today suffer persecution and torture and death uh, for keeping God's word and remaining loyal to Jesus. In other parts of the world, it's a different kind of struggle. Uh, People who are seeking to care for their families may be leveled out in their careers. Reason for not receiving that job promotion following Jesus and even here in the United States although our challenges are different uh, we may feel our faithfulness challenged when we are misrepresented uh, when we are dismissed or, or canceled perhaps even slandered or ostracized but whatever the case Christians all face forces that pry at our fingers as we try to hold fast to God's word How are we to respond in the face of these forces? Well, to help us begin to get at that answer, um, in 2003, the movie Master and Commander was released in theaters. Um, Some of you may have seen it. It's uh, the movie version of a story written by Patrick O'Brien and uh, his novels uh, that tell the story of a British warship, the HMS Surprise, uh, which took place in the early 1800s. This was during the days of Britain's struggle uh, with Napoleon. And in one scene in this movie, the surprise is wrapped in a blanket of thick fog. You can't see anything. And, and their, their captain, he's standing on the ship, and he's peering intently into the mist, trying to, to see what's around him. And as he's peering into this mist, suddenly a light show goes off right in front of his face. Bright Um, bursts of flame appear on the horizon and as soon as he sees that light he begins to hear the sound right behind it as these cannonballs begin to whistle through the air and tear into his ship and begin ripping it to shreds. It's a scene of of chaos. It's a scene of, of destruction. And yet as you see this captain and his crew face these frightening forces you also begin to see a very common response among them. You don't see sailors diving over the side into the water. You don't see officers crying out, "Abandon ship or all is lost. No, you actually see something very different. The camera zooms in on this one very weather-worn seasoned sailor and he holds up two leathered fists to show the words scrawled across his knuckles. Hold fast. And you begin to hear officers cry out to their men, hold your position! Hold your position. Courage now. And these sailors, they continue to hold their position. And they continue to face the fight that's before them. And friends, this this is a picture of what those Christians in Philadelphia were doing. and, And it's a picture of what Christians today are called to do as well. When we face forces that pry at our fingers, we are to hold fast. And to keep God's word. When we hear stories of persecution, we we keep our grip. When we face cancellation, when we face ridicule, we remain loyal to Jesus. And in this passage, like those officers who did not abandon their men, but rather came alongside them and called out words of encouragement and gave them guidance, our leader, our King Jesus, he, he is present with us as well through his spirit. And he calls out to us in this passage with words of promise, with words of comfort, with words of assurance that make it possible for us to continue holding fast even when we feel like our fingers are failing. We see this in verse 7 where Jesus begins to speak to the Christians in Philadelphia and notice, notice what Jesus says about himself in that verse. He says, the words of the Holy One, the true one. Jesus says that he is the one who is holy and true, and several commentators remark that when Jesus says that he is the holy one, he is referring to the truth that Jesus is God. And when we remember this truth about Jesus, we are reminded that Jesus, no matter what we face, he is worthy of our loyalty. He is worthy of our obedience. And we are also reminded that Jesus is as God, he is also immeasurably powerful. That whatever promises we are about to hear in this passage before us, he has the ability to see those promises through and to, and to keep them. He also calls himself the true one. He's powerful, he's present, and he is trustworthy. So, how does our worthy and powerful and trustworthy king seek to encourage his people this morning as we seek to keep our grip on his word, no matter what we face. Well, we're going to see a number of ways that he does this, but before we do, I I want to set before us a biblical lens. Like imagine yourself putting on reading glasses for a moment. Um, I want us to have this lens before us to help us uh, understand Jesus' description of our works. Let me tell you what I mean. It says in verse 8, Jesus says that he knows their works, and then he talks about an open door that he set before them. In verse 10, he says, because you have kept my word, I will keep you from trial. In verse 12, he says, the one who conquers will be made a pillar in the temple of God. And it would be easy for us uh, to misunderstand what Jesus is saying here and to slip into the error of thinking that somehow our works have earned the open door of salvation in in verse 8. That our faithful keeping of God's word have somehow merited Jesus' help for us in verse 10 or that it is our conquering on our own steam and strength that, that has somehow earned our eternal place with God in his temple that we see in verse 12. But, but remember, while these promises are indeed for those walking faithfully with God, Scripture also makes it clear again and again that we are saved by grace, not by works. In Galatians 2, uh, Paul says clearly that we are justified by faith in the same Jesus who is speaking to us in this passage. In Ephesians 2, Paul again says that this faith is a gift from God, not a result of our works. So please don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying this morning. Jesus has given us places in his word that show very clearly he's not talking about a, a works-based or a merit-based salvation here. And what is also true is that Scripture makes it abundantly clear that true faith in God is also marked by the kind of loyal obedience that Jesus commends the Christians for in this passage. And and we see this in other places as well. In 1 John 2, it says that those who truly belong to Jesus give obedience to Jesus. And so when Jesus, in verse 11, says, hold fast to what you have, he is saying, persevere in the faith. He is saying, continue to believe and obey me. And this is what he means when he talks about people conquering. People who, by faith, continue to follow and to trust in Jesus. And again, the good news of the gospel is that just as we are brought to faith by grace, it is the same grace of God that makes it possible for us to walk in faithful obedience. There's The, 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 the gospel is not, hey, I'll get you on the train, but then you've got to keep it rolling. That is not, that is not how our salvation works. When Paul was in prison clinging to God's word he says I am able to do all things not through my own toughness not through my own resilience he says I'm able to maintain faith in God in prison because he is giving me strength and in John 15 Jesus makes it clear that the only way we can bear good fruit is when by the power of the spirit we are united to him And so as we hear these calls to faithfulness in this passage this morning, I I want you to be encouraged that it was God's grace that had called the Philippian Christians to faith in the beginning, and it was his grace that had enabled them to faithfully hold on to his word thus far. So with those glasses on, with that lens before us, uh, let's return to that question. How does our worthy and powerful and trustworthy king seek to encourage us this morning Is by grace we seek to faithfully keep his word no matter what we face. Well, let's begin by looking at verse 10. There Jesus says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. What exactly is Jesus promising right here? What is Jesus saying and what is he not saying? Well, to begin, Jesus is not saying that Christians will never suffer physical persecution or or other kinds of hardships. And we know this because in John 16, Jesus himself tells us that we will experience hard things. He says, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. You will have trials. So what is Jesus saying when he promises the Christians in Philadelphia that he will keep them from the hour of trial? Well, the overall context of scripture makes it clear that Jesus is not necessarily speaking of physical protection, but of spiritual protection through a time of hardship. In Revelation, we see clearly that all people, whether they are a believer in Jesus or not a Christian, all people will endure hard things in life before the final return of Jesus. It is going to happen. But as Christians go through these hard times, Jesus promises that he will keep us from the hour of trial. In other words, that he will keep us spiritually safe by protecting us from hardening our hearts against God when we experience trouble. And instead, using these times to actually grow our faith and make it stronger. And and that, that promise could be easy to take for granted, but if you're anything like me, when you've gone through difficult times... It's very hard to not have a soft heart. In fact, it's very easy to feel, at least with me, my heart began to feel more like a block of ice that's just getting hard. And so we need to hear this because we can't keep our hearts soft, but Jesus says, I know you will go through hard things. I know it will challenge your faith and I will keep you through those times. I will give you a soft heart that remains faithful to the Lord no matter what you go through. Jesus also makes another promise to his people. Look with me uh, in verse 9. He says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Jesus is basically promising to subdue the enemies of God, to subdue the enemies of his people, the church. And we need to hear this because sometimes God's enemies and the ferocity they can show against his church, those can feel overwhelming. Uh, I had a friend in high school who I will never forget uh, who loved sports, Uh, but he was by no means, he was a far cry uh, from being the strongest uh, athlete in our school. Well, one day we were in the weight room and one of the guys who probably was a contender for being the biggest and strongest athlete in the school walks up to him and uh, he extended his arm and with a mischievous grin on his face said hey man let's shake hands. Well this this was no friend of my friend and uh, he had a, a sense that something was up so he tried to dismiss it and kind of navigate his way away from him but the guy was pretty persistent. So finally my friend extended his own hand and and began to shake his hand and as he did that, this guy began to bear down on the bones with such intensity that it was crushing his hand. And he just sank to the floor in front of the whole gym in tears, begging for this guy to let him go. Now thankfully someone intervened and, and he, did, he did release him. But y'all, that is what it can feel like when the enemies of the church get their grip on God's people And just begin to squeeze. It can feel overwhelming. It can feel like we will never escape from their grip. And in those moments, it can be very tempting to want to release our grip on God and his word out of the hope that maybe then they'll let us go. So we need to hear this promise. We need to hear this promise from our powerful king that one day... He will break those grips, and that all those who faithfully follow the Lord will be delivered as our enemies are subdued. Now, I want us to be very careful here not to forget, not to forget, please don't forget the rest of Scripture's teaching about our enemies. Please don't forget that we are called to love our enemies. Please don't forget that we are called to pray for and do good to those who persecute us. Please don't forget that we are to go with the good news of people who would, who would kill us for Jesus' name with the hope that they would actually come to know him and be a part of his people. We must never forget or fail to do these things. And at the same time, this verse encourages us that there is hope on the horizon, that they will be subdued, that someone will intervene, and we will not be left on the gym floor begging for release. That we can keep God's word with the hope that persecution will come to an end. Finally, King Jesus calls to us with a promise of security and stability. Um, Has anyone here ever played with Lincoln Logs? Yeah, yeah, I see your hand up there, yeah. Uh, Me too. We have Lincoln Logs at our house. Lincoln Logs are a lot of fun. Lincoln Logs are also very insecure And they're very unstable. Uh, If you've ever, in a a fit of being silly like me, tried to lift a Lincoln log set and move it to another location, uh, the next word you're going to say is probably timber. Uh, Or if you've ever carelessly bumped into the table, uh, look out below. Because those Lincoln logs are going to come tumbling down. And I imagine that for the Christians in Philadelphia, though Lincoln logs had not been invented, if we had time machined back and showed them to them, they probably would have said, you know what? That's exactly how I feel a lot of times. I feel like a a stack of Lincoln Logs. I feel vulnerable. I feel insecure. And we can probably relate to that feeling as well when we seek at times to keep a grip on God's word. And so this last promise we're going to explore this morning is really, really important for us to hear. Look with me in verse 7. Jesus says that he is the one who has the key of David. And when Jesus says that he holds the key of David, he's saying that he is the one who determines who will and who will not enter into the kingdom of God. And in verse 8, he goes on to tell them uh, that I have, let me see, here we are. He goes, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Jesus is telling the Philippian Christians that he has opened the door of salvation for them and that no one will be able to shut this door on his faithful ones. And we see this theme of assurance continued in verse 12. Please turn with me there. He says, The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name a pillar in God's temple, having God's name written upon us. Friends, these metaphors both signify being in God's presence forever. When Jesus returns and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth, hear hear what he is saying. The final destiny for God's faithful people is not to be toppled by our trials like a stack of Lincoln Logs. Rather, our destiny is to be firmly established in the loving, protective presence of God for all of eternity. So as we hear the promises from our faithful Savior, let us be encouraged. And by his grace, let us continue to keep his word, to hold fast in loving obedience to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God who does not leave us alone. Thank you that you are here with us now, strengthening our faith even in the midst of trials. And thank you that you set before us a beautiful truth, a beautiful reality of of the days that are to come forever in your your presence. So Lord, we pray that you would use these words and that they would not be simply words that we could explain to someone in an essay, but rather they would be words that sink deeply into our hearts that we believe with all of our being. We pray that you would use it to strengthen our grip as we seek to keep your word. To hold fast to you and to proclaim your name in all the earth. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.